For the past several weeks, we've been talking about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That is how the Holy Spirit comes to us and fills us to be the kind of Christians we are called to be. We acknowledged in that first week that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses, that is to tell others and to show others the love of God in tangible ways and with our words. The second week, we spoke about the Spirit empowering us to be the light, the very light of Christ to the world around us after we have experienced that light for ourselves. And last week, Pastor Nancy preached about how the Holy Spirit helps us to pray and to serve like Tabitha and Peter. And today, I'd like to take another step in that same direction, hearing about our ability to receive new life through the Spirit, and that not only that, that we receive new life, but that we are encouraged to offer new life to others, no matter what their background or differences from us. Everyone has the opportunity to receive new life, and it may just be us that God is calling to share that good news. But I think we need to understand something very important from the get-go, and that is this, that everyone, everyone gets to hear about the good news of Christ's forgiveness and the salvation he offers. There's no disqualifying event, nor history, nor background, or people group, or even sin that keeps anyone from hearing the gospel and the news that they can be saved. It is a gift for all of us for all time. And it is through the Holy Spirit that we are encouraged to receive it and offer it to the people around us. This is what Peter found out as he was called to minister to, to eat with and associate with Cornelius and his household. He was the Gentile that Peter visited. It was okay for the Gentiles to receive the word of God, but to receive the Holy Spirit was a gift that was reserved for the Jewish Christians, or so they thought. This account of Peter's vision and the outcome of the story shows just the opposite of that. The first few verses of chapter 11 indicate that Peter has returned from a trip to Caesarea where he visited the house of a Gentile and converted him and his household. I should note that the story is actually shared in Acts 10 first when it actually occurred, but now is recounted in chapter 11 again as Peter is standing in front of the authorities, the Jewish authorities, and they want an account of what had happened, what his actions were all about. And so while a Gentile in his household was converted was good news for everybody, he was criticized for it by the Jews in Judea who said he should not have eaten or even entered the house of a Gentile. They wanted answers from him. They wanted some justification of why Peter went to Cornelius's house. Some Jewish believers held the assumption that Christianity was a movement within Judaism and therefore had to conform to the life and practices of Judaism. For example, a person could not become a Christian until they were first a Jew. Gentiles, of course, did not feel this way. This line of, thing, of thinking did not persist, but it certainly existed at this point in time in history. And for these Jews, 
non-adherence to the more external aspects of Jewish lifestyle and culture was a problem. If you weren't living like a Jew, then you had some issues. The accusation lodged against Peter was that he went into the house of uncircumcised people and ate with them. The primary problem was not his preaching to the Gentiles, but his eating with them. So Peter then has to explain what happened. And it seems these others, these Jewish leaders, needed the same lesson that Peter was taught in chapter 10, that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile when it comes to receiving the gospel. Peter received a vision from God, which is a detailed retelling of Acts 10, verses 9 through 16. You heard it read for you. A sheet comes down out of heaven containing all kinds of animals on it, and a voice tells Peter to kill and eat, but Peter responds that he will not eat anything that the Jewish faith considers unclean. And the voice responds, do not call something unclean if God has called it clean. And this happened three times in Peter's vision. Afterwards, Peter is met by men from Cornelius' house, and he goes with them after being instructed not to worry that they are Gentiles. And while at Cornelius' house, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit came and fell on them, just as the Holy Spirit had done in the past to the Jews. So it was the very same thing that occurred. After explaining this vision and his actions to the Jewish leadership, Peter says in verse 17, since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? In essence, what he was telling those who were questioning him was that since God showed no partiality, then Peter was not going to show any partiality either. These legalists were making a difference between the Gentiles and the Jews after Peter had demonstrated that there is no difference between Gentile and Jew. God had declared the Gentiles clean, that is, accepted before God on the same basis as the Jews, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Now this issue is not so apparent today if it even exists anymore. It's not an issue between Jews and Christians, but if we are not careful, we can tend to go in that direction as well. We may try to put qualifications on people who are not like us and do not practice religion in the ways we think they should. Perhaps we think that there must be some guidelines on who can truly receive Christ. We say that all should, and I know we all think that, but in the back of our minds, we're really paying attention to the things that count someone in or out of the faith. Surely someone who is struggling with certain aspects of the faith ought to somehow get it right before they can truly accept Christ. For the Jews, it was a case of what was being eaten. Jewish dietary laws forbade anyone of eating that which was unclean. And since Gentiles did eat animals outside of those laws, perhaps they were missing the mark on what it means to live a faithful life, and therefore were not good candidates to receive the word of God and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit who offered new life in Christ. 
or so the Jews thought. But the truth is, we can do the same judgmental thing. Maybe, and this is just a maybe, but maybe there are a few people here today that once looked at other faith traditions and their theologies as all wrong. Maybe once or twice we have thought that a certain person's lostness was so great that they couldn't possibly grasp the faith. That this other person was so sinful that they were so far off from understanding what it meant to hear and understand and receive the gospel. Maybe we thought that other people's practice of Christianity left much to be desired. Maybe they listened to the wrong kind of music or worshiped in ways that we felt were irreverent and insincere. Some of us may even look at certain individuals and say to ourselves, but would never say it out loud, that we are much more in touch with God than they are. But who are we to say that one group is better than another group, or one person is more suited to receive the Holy Spirit than another? Peter said it best, if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, that is the gift of the Holy Spirit, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? God will pour out the Holy Spirit on whoever is open to receiving it. It's not up to us. It's up to God to determine who is and who isn't worthy. What we're supposed to do is live Christian lives of love and service and acceptance and then let God do what only God can do. We can't discount the work of the Holy Spirit within a person or other faith tradition simply because we might have a problem with their personal histories or because we might disagree with their traditions or their worship. Instead, our response should be how the Jewish Christians responded to Peter's account. When Peter finally explained himself and explained himself fully, they said that they needed to stop objecting to how the Spirit moved and they were to praise God for what he has done. That was the Jewish leader's responses. To be glad that there was a change of heart or mind or in their life. And this is all to say that everyone is good enough to be empowered by the Spirit to receive new life. And we, like Peter, are those who should offer that new life any chance we get. Everybody is worthy. The one thing that stands as the reason for that, for us understanding that everybody is worthy, is the empty cross upon which Jesus died for all people. You've heard the scripture, for God so loved the world. And when God said that, when Jesus said that, God so loved the world, he didn't mean just parts of the world or just certain people or certain aspects. He meant the whole world, all of the world. Lee Strobel, in his book, in God's Outrageous Claims, he writes this. Imagine there are two country clubs. The first has a strict set of rules and only allows in people who have earned their membership. They have to accomplish something, obtain superior wisdom, or fulfill a long list of demands and requirements to qualify for entry. Despite their best efforts, 
Lots of people just won't make the grade and will be excluded. In effect, this is what other religious systems are like. But the second country club throws its doors wide open and says, anybody who wants membership is invited. Rich or poor, black or white, regardless of your ethnic heritage or where you live, we would love to include you. Entry is not based on your qualification, but only on accepting the invitation. So we'll leave the matter up to you. You decide. But remember, we will never turn you away if you seek admittance. That's what Christianity is like. Which country club is being snobbish? Christians aren't being exclusive, they're being inclusive. They're not being haughty, they're being egalitarian. So I think you would agree with me in understanding we should strive to be members of the second country club, that is the one that acknowledges Christianity. Now, I think we need to be clear about something. Just because the Holy Spirit empowers everyone to receive new life and empowers all of us to be able to be the ones to offer it does not mean that's all there is to it. Max Lucado says that God loves us just the way we are, but he doesn't want to leave us that way. There are things that should change about us and others as we learn to live more faithful lives and as we continue living more Christ-like lives. There may just need to be some things that change. Just because we are accepted doesn't mean everything we do is acceptable. As much as we are empowered to receive and offer new life, we are also prompted by the Holy Spirit to keep growing in our faith and shed those things that keep us from following our faith. So while we are never counted as out of the circle of faith, we have a responsibility to keep growing and changing more into the likeness of Christ. The lesson of Acts 11 is that God has already set the parameters for who can and who can't receive new life. And there's no one who can't. God will give the gift of the Holy Spirit to any who wish to receive it. And what's more, he's empowered us, like Peter, to offer new life to all people. There are no boundaries to who can follow Christ. If God waited until we had it all together, or had the right credentials, or were in the correct people groups, or anything else that divided us, not many of us would be saved. But as it is, the Holy Spirit is not limited to those who think they've got it all right. To all who would seek God, the gift of the Holy Spirit is waiting. Regardless of any defining theology or way of thinking or behaving, the Holy Spirit empowers us for receiving and offering new life. There is no separation or difference when it comes to following Christ. All are invited. All are welcome. All are worthy. And the good news for us today is that that means us too. We are all worthy.
Amen.